0: So we are going to pick up where we left off over the last few weeks with Godonomics and talking about Um, What Christ has done for us, what we're looking for here is looking at what God has to say about finances. That's really all that matters. When we look at any matter of subject, doesn't matter what it is, we need to say, what does God say on the subject? You can have your opinion, and that's all well and good. But if your opinion is not founded in something uh, something concrete, a truth, if you will, then it is of no point. We all understand that we have traditions in the, the church, right? We have things that we teach that have nothing to do with Scripture. Um doesn't make them bad. It's okay to have traditions, but you can't let traditions trump anything that, you, uh, that trumps what God has to say. And when we talk about the area of money, what we are taught when it comes to economics in our school systems today and over the last several years is the antithesis to the things of God. It really is. Because what we are taught is that we have to just go get a good education so we get a good job, and that way you can just sock away as much money as humanly possible. And yeah, you should help others and things like that, but there should be no strategic plan with it, and you just kind of give as you can and all of that, and you look out for number one. You've got to buy into the American dream. You've got to have all this money, that way you can buy the house, the two cars, the boat, maybe the summer house, whatever else you want. None of those things are bad. But when you are controlled by those things, that's when it becomes bad. Money in and of itself is amoral. It is not moral. It is not immoral. The same dollar that goes in the, the offering plate can be the same dollar that's used to buy cocaine. I mean, it doesn't make any difference. It's what we do with it. And as we've looked at this, so the reason this is so important to God is the first thing we notice is the tithe belongs to the Lord. It is His. He gives it to us to steward, but it is our responsibility to bring it back to the storehouse. We see that in Malachi. And What does He say? Do you rob me? You do it by stealing the tithe. And so that belongs to Him. What we do after that is a matter of the heart. And what is God after? He's after our heart. But He also said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so because of that, we can simply look at somebody's checkbook and say, where are your priorities? What are the things that mean most to you? Are you actively engaged for funding the works of the ministry? And I'm not just talking about giving to the church. I'm talking about helping people out and doing nice things. Or are you consuming everything and is just the status of it all means more to you? And only that's a question that only you can answer. So when it comes down to this, the reason that we bring the tithe is because it is the first fruit, right? Right. It's the first, it's it's the best. We bring God back what belonged to him. But why does that matter to God? Because that's exactly what he did for us. He sent the best, the first fruit, his only begotten son in for us. We see in the offerings that were given, the burn offering and and the, the trespass offering, the sin offering, all fulfilled by Christ, that Jesus willingly laid down his life. Why? Because where his treasure is, there was his heart. His treasure was you and I. We're the treasure, the apple of God's eye, and he was willing to give anything and everything to bring us back to him. And so he did. And so as we've looked at that, we've seen that the area of finances, this can be a very touchy subject because people, when it comes to money, they just, you know, they just shut down. They're like, listen, I'm not going to have somebody tell me what to do with my finances. Guess what? I'm not here to tell you what to do with your money. You do with it whatever you want. I'm not here to put a guilt trip on somebody to give more or give something or, or whatever because that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to teach what the Word says. And so last week, we jumped into this. We've talked about this before, but in Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 1, it said, He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him, and this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear? about you. Give an account of your stewardship, for you no longer can be a steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship they may receive me into their house. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred. Quickly and write fifty. Take your bill quickly, sit down, write 50. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said, take your bill and write 80. So the master commanded the unjust steward that he dealt shrewdly or quickly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd than their generation, than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting home. He is who, who is faithful in what is least is faithful and also in as much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another's man, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, what was Mammon? Mammon is not just money, but it was the Assyrian god of finances. We showed you a couple of pictures, some drawings. I don't have them up there today. But it was this this masterful thing. And how did he control people? Through finances, through this promise that if you will worship me, then I will give you this. We watched Jesus be tempted in the very same way. Being fasting for 40 days, he's hungry. And he says, hey, command those stones to be turned to bread. If Jesus had done that, would it have happened? Yeah. Yeah. You can turn water to wine, you can turn rocks to bread. If you can figure out how to turn hamburger into steak, that would be good too. But the bottom line is is that Jesus was tempted, right? He was tempted to fulfill that need in a way that was not glorifying to God. But Jesus says, get away from me. You don't live by bread alone. He came back in with him with the word. And then he he came back and he said, ultimately says, if you will bow down and worship me, everything you see, I'll give it to you. He tempted him to say, hey, throw yourself off the temple because the angels will catch you, using some scripture out of Psalm, obviously wrong. All of these were temptations, or it wouldn't have said that they were temptations, right? Jesus was tempted by these. Why? Because he was tempted just like you and I were, except without sin. Where he got it right, we often get it wrong. So these were actual temptations. It wasn't like Jesus like, nope, no problem. But he refused to bow. Even when Scripture was brought into into the equation and brought into it wrongly, he refused to bow. And so he said, get away from me. And so he withstood the temptation. That was Mammon tempting him with making a promise. Listen, if you will do this for me, then I will do all of this for you. We see it in, in the book of Revelation. The Antichrist controls people through economics. You will take my mark or you will not buy and sell. Now, I was having this discussion with somebody later. This is a little sidebar, but I want to make this clear. A born-again believer will not accidentally take the mark of the beast not knowing what it is. I want to make that clear. Now, we believe that the church is removed by that point, but that's another day. The bottom line is, is that you can't accidentally take this because when you take the mark, you are choosing a side and pledging allegiance to the beast. And the only way that you can buy or sell is through this. So how many people would be sitting there justifying in their mind, listen, i got to take care of my family. I can't can't do this. I I have kids to feed. I, I have bills to pay. I have to be able to buy. I have to be able to sell. Is that faith in God? No, of course not. But that is what Mammon does. Is he comes in and he says, listen, if you go out there and you do this, then I will do this for you. He makes promises that only God can keep. Jim Carrey one time said, and Jim Carrey's not somebody you hear quoted in church very often, is he? But he says, I hope people can go out there and make all the money they ever wanted and buy everything that their heart ever desired so they can find out that it is all worth nothing. It, there's no fulfillment in it. Think about this for a minute, guys. We have celebrities and athletes every year that kill themselves, millionaires. All the money. They could buy anything they want, and yet they don't find fulfillment in it. Why is that? I know some people that I've met through the years, extremely wealthy. I mean, if they wanted an airplane, they'd write a check for it. That kind of wealth. They were loaded. And yet they were always fearful that it was going to go away. Because their trust and hope wasn't in God. Their trust and hope was in the riches. We saw in the book of Job last week when we talked about this, that Job, when all the stuff and all the chaos came, the, the answer was given is that the thing that I greatly feared the most has come upon me the fear of all the wealth, all the, the riches, all the possessions would just go away one day. And yet we do the same thing. What do we do? We watch the stock market. You got money in, in, in any kind of investment, a 401k, we watch the stock market like a hawk. We got to know what's going on. We, you know, and again, don't misunderstand me. It's okay to do that. You should be putting money away. You should be investing. You should be investing wisely. But ultimately, don't put your trust in it. We put our trust in God. He is the one that meets our needs according to his riches and glory in his Son, Christ Jesus. But Mammon has another side. You see, he comes in and he tempts us. He tries to get us to worship him. And as Jesus said, it's one or the other, because you cannot worship both. You'll either chase after the things of this world, or you'll chase after God and use the things of this world to spread the kingdom. But in Luke chapter 16, going on just past that, in verse 14, we see an example of this. In verse 14, it says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Now what is highly esteemed among men? Status, fame, wealth. God doesn't care about any of that. If you read your Bible, it says the roads are paved with gold. He's not impressed with what you bring to the table. But what was it about these Pharisees? So understand this. These Pharisees, the leaders of the Jewish people, the political and religious leaders, they were the teachers of the law. They would parade themselves around in fine clothing so people would see them. They would fast and make themselves look like they were fasting so everybody knew that they were fasting. They were the guy that when they gave into the offering, they'd take that $100 bill and you know, here's the plate and they would do one of these to put it in there so everybody could see what they were doing. I know nobody here has ever done that, but that kind of stuff does happen occasionally. You see, they were lovers of money, not lovers of God. They were mocking the Messiah. The Messiah was calling them out because God knew their heart. Their heart was not to see if this is the Messiah. Their heart was to keep control and to keep power. That's why they killed the Messiah. We've got to get rid of this Jesus figure. When Jesus was resurrected, that's why they bribed the guards like, tell them you fell asleep and somebody came and stole the body. Because the only way that they would lose power is if this truly was the Messiah and he was here to establish their kingdom, his kingdom. You see, all of these things are an abomination to God. When we look at mammon, as we saw, mammon is the spirit of the Antichrist, and he is alive and well and going throughout the earth today. But there's another side to this mammon when we talk about it that often gets overlooked. And we're going to start today in John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. But there... There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with them. Listen, if you've died and you've come back from the dead, you don't have to do dishes. That's what this just says, okay? <laughs> then Mary took a pound of the very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. Now, we're going to break this down a little bit today. But when I read this, there's a couple of questions that always pop into my mind. As you guys know, I tend to overthink a lot of stuff. Number one, Why did Mary give this gift, and why was it so extravagant? Number two is, why did this bother Judas so much? I mean, yeah, obviously he steals, but it's just one time. There was no shortage of funds for what Jesus was doing. You see, the giving here, in this case, revealed both of their hearts, right? Here you have the Messiah, whom she's recognized as such, gives this costly gift, anoints his feet. Here you have Judas that has nothing to do with this, but he is irritated that that money was not given to the ministry to help the poor, right? You see, their hearts are revealed in this. The enemy of generosity is selfishness. It's the exact opposite. You see both sides of the spectrum here, right? You see somebody who is extravagantly giving to the Messiah, and you have somebody who is extravagantly taking from the Messiah. And this happens all the time. Selfishness is never taught, but generosity is. Think back to your kids. You guys remember when you had little kids? I have them now. You know what I hear in my house all the time? Mine. All the time. Ask which one it is. Depends on the day. The first word out of a toddler's mouth typically is mine. It's mine. Mine. They don't share. Why do we have to teach children to share, but we don't have to teach them not to share? Why is that? You ever thought about that? Think about, you have one cookie left and three children. What child walks in? You know, if we divided this equally, this would all be fair and everybody would be content. Nope. One, they fight over it. One steals it. Whatever it is. Okay. Whatever it is. See, when you're parenting children, there's a point in time for a parent When this discussion of this mine and all of that, where we don't care about justice anymore, we only care about quiet, right? Like, I'm telling you, and I know this isn't right, but when that two-year-old is arguing over something that's not his, that he wasn't playing with, that one of the other children has, at some point, I break and say, listen, I don't care what he wants, give it to him. (laughs) I know Bush said we don't negotiate with terrorists, but apparently I do. I mean, and you listen, don't judge me. I know what you got. You all do it too, so don't even. I I can sense this. See, when it comes to the idea of the tithe, God uses the word mine. Why? Because it belongs to Him. It is His. It is not ours to do something with. Judas makes this statement of that, why didn't you give this? Why wasn't this sold and given to the poor? We do this a lot. The same attitude here is what I'm telling you is that same spirit of mammon. Because we do this anytime we perceive extravagance in somebody else's life. What's the definition of extravagance? When someone has something more than what we have, right? If you've ever seen somebody that bought a new car, it's like, why do they need such a nice car? That's so expensive. Why'd they spend all that money on it? Why do they need such a nice house? Why do they need the newest cell phone? My question is, why do you care? I mean, as an example, okay, this was all over the news, but Creflo Dollar and some of these guys were wanting a brand new airplane, some, I don't know what it was, some jet, some 51 million, billion, I don't know how, it was a lot of money, okay, a lot of money. And, and Jesse Duplantis wanted one, I mean, they all wanted one, right? So, I, I, this is all I'm hearing about for weeks, and I, I didn't give my opinion on it, because I don't care. That's that's my opinion. I I just don't care. Get whatever airplane makes you happy. But all these people are like, you know what? That is such a waste of money. They should be using that money for the ministry, and giving to the poor and all of that. And all I can think about is Judas. It's all I can think about. Because here's what's going through my mind. Number one, if you don't support their ministry, what do you care for those that support it do with the money? If they want to give into this airplane, why do you care? Number one. Number two, if you do support this ministry and you have a real conscious problem with this airplane, don't support their ministry anymore. It's your decision to make, right? That's number two. Number three is the last time I checked, God could afford this airplane and taking care of the poor. I don't think He's hurting for funds. I know the stock market was down Friday, but Jesus is doing all right. I mean, it's this perceived. Extravagance. It's like, why do they do this? I've seen it in churches. There was a church that had copper gutters and they were worn out. So, what did they put up there? Copper gutters. They're expensive. And all you hear about is like, man, they shouldn't be using that money for that. They should be doing something else. You know who should else, else should be giving to the poor? You and I. All these same people. This is the spirit of mammon alive. It's in Judas. We see it all over the place, and we don't even recognize it. Why do we care what somebody else does with their money? Stephen Furtick, pastor in North Carolina, built a two-point-something million-dollar home. You know where he made his money? Selling books. Why do we care? He sold books. People wanted to read his books. He built a big house. I don't care. Why do we care? But people freak out all the time. The latest one, I don't know if you know this or not, Franklin Graham. You mean thinking the son of Billy? Yeah, the son of Billy. You know why people are freaking out? Because he is paid a salary of about $600,000 a year from Samaritan's Purse. Why does he need that much money? That money should be going to the poor. Well, that's up to the board of directors of Samaritan's Purse. He's running a multi-million dollar organization. CEOs make that kind of money all the time, and then some. And then you and I get to bail them out when they screw up, right? I expected a few more amens on that one. There you go. But, but here's the thing. Why do you care what they're paying him? It has no bearing in life. I watch people like, I'm not paying him. Uh, I'm not going to give into that ministry anymore. Why? They're doing great things. Who cares what he's making? The bottom line is, is this spirit of Judas is alive and well. It is the spirit of comparing one another. It's saying, well, why do they need that? I don't have it. It's because we are not content. We are not content in ourselves. We are not content with what the Lord has provided for us. We are so concerned with extravagance, but yet we don't give faithfully out of our lesser means. Most people don't realize that some of these guys that have tons of money in these ministries give a ton of money. I mean, Rick Warren is an example. I'll give you one example. This, I'm kind of off on a side subject here. Rick Warren wrote The, uh, the Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Life, sold Squillions of copies of this book, still sells all the time. He pastors a church in uh, in California, a church of, I don't know, 20-some thousand members and things like that. He uh, Everybody talks about you know, he's got a really nice house and all of that. What he does is he gives 90% of his income from the book sales and lives off 10. That's easy to do when you've got that much income coming in. He also doesn't take a salary from the church that he pastors. Most people don't know that, but they sure get on him. Oh, you don't need to live like that. I don't care what anybody lives like. Because who is responsible for stewarding their funds? The individual. And who are they going to answer to if they don't steward them well? See, we go back to this unrighteous mammon. Oh, yeah, it's good. Build up for yourself friends with this unrighteous mammon because when you're destroyed, you're going to need them. You guys see what I'm saying? We do this all the time. Now, here's the question. Did Jesus know about Judas. Who gave him the money box? Jesus did. There wasn't a committee. They didn't take a vote. Jesus, did he know that he was a thief? Yep. He sure did. And he chose him anyway. Remember, he went and picked the twelve. Handpicked them. There wasn't an application process. It wasn't American Idol where you text in your vote. It was none of that kind of stuff. It was simply... Who Jesus chose Judas was a thief question is are we what does Malachi say the thief steals from him is the one who doesn't give their tithes and their offering nobody would take money out of the offering plate as it passed around right I've seen people make change in the offering plate that's awkward but nobody would ever intentionally just go and like well I need 20 bucks for gas and just take it out there there's not a person in this room that would ever do that but do we steal from God by not giving our tithes? Would someone keep money in their account that belongs to God? That's the same thing in the eyes of God. Why? Because it is His that we bring that back to Him. But the spirit of mammoth says, now listen, you don't have to tithe all. You know, you, you can't quite afford that yet. Uh, maybe you start with 2% or start with 5% or whatever. Is it ever based off what your income is? It never is. It's never how much you make. You see, it's this generosity that is the reason that we have what we have as far as it goes with our relationship with God. It's the extravagance of generosity as God. God's a generous God, and He gave an extravagant gift in His Son. When you put it down in the dollars, and cents, David, when he gave to the temple, you know how much money he gave uh, roughly? $21 billion when you break it down to the value of, of the stuff that David gave to the temple. That's a lot, that's a lot. Was God impressed with that? No. What's 21 billion dollars to God? Nothing. Because it's never the amount, it's the heart that's behind it. You see, Mary gave basically 300 of these denarii, right? In, in this, this uh, spikenard, this, this cent. A denarii, or the denarius, is the equivalent of one day's wage. All right? So whatever you make a day, put that in perspective. So she gave a year's wage. Would it, could you would agree that it's pretty extravagant to take a year's worth of money to buy something to dump on somebody's feet? Yeah. Have you seen the, the burgers out there that are like $20,000 because they put gold in it? You're eating gold? I'll try this side. You're eating gold. Have you seen these things? Like the, It's like, why? It reminds me of like the old, uh, the old movies where they would burn $100 bills to light their cigars. Like, why? It's extravagant. But the thing is, think about this. This was the only anointing that Jesus was going to receive because when, when he died, it was too late in the day. It was the, the, remember, when they took him off the cross, they needed to get him down. Because the Sabbath was coming, the sun was setting. That's also why the women went back to the tomb and they had all of this stuff to prepare His body and anoint Him. This was the anointing. So you can't give an amount that impresses God. We can't. It's never the amount. It is the heart of the individual. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren... We make known to you that the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, their abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Is this a church that's doing real well? No, they are not. They don't have a ton. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. You notice it says, freely willing, beyond their ability, They don't just have extra cash laying around that they can throw in there, but they believed so much and trusted God and loved God so much that they were freely willing to do this. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also." I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Is this referring to Jesus' bank account? No. You see, he was everything, became nothing. Because of us, because he treasured us. When it says that God rejoices over you, in the, in the Greek there, it's giving the idea that he is so excited, he's jumping up and twirling around. That's the idea over us. For when one gives their life to God, that is what, G, or what God does. He is so excited, he's so moved by that. For our sake, he became poor, that through him we might become rich. Don't ever let somebody try to twist that into finances. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about spiritually. But it started with finances, that these people that had nothing, they gave what they could and beyond their ability, and they freely did it of their own accord because they loved God. It's never the amount. It is the heart of the individual. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, there's three levels of giving. The first one is the tithe. The second one is offering. The third one, extravagant offerings. Extravagant offerings. Jesus, to us, guys, was all three of those. He was the firstborn. He was the burnt offering and the fulfillment. But He gave extravagantly. Think about this. I mean, if you know everything from the beginning... Would you have created something that was going to betray you, that would cost you your life and all the turmoil that goes along with that in order to rescue them? Or would you go to plan B? I'm going to plan B. Always going to plan B. But the problem we have in the church today with Christians is they never get to this first level of giving. The amount of people, if you had to guess the percentage of the amount of people who claim to be Christian that tithe the first 10% of their gross income, and that is undesignated. Now, let me explain that. Because some people say, I'm going to give 3% to this, and 2% to these specifications, and and 4% to that. That is not tithing. It is God's. You bring it back to the storehouse. That's how that works. If you're designating it, it is not a tithe. So, it belongs to God. Of their gross income, if you put a percentage on it. The statistics are 5 to 7% of born-again believers today actually give 10% of their gross income. 5 to 7%. That's a lot of people who aren't doing that. Now, think about that. Think about that for a minute. If we had, let's say we doubled that number, how much more could the church do today? But, go backwards. Remember, we give it to the church and then we say, okay, church, it's now your responsibility to reach the lost. No, it's not. Whose responsibility is it? It's ours. We are the ones that go out and make disciples. The church structure has a part to play with that. But it is not the mechanism. See, sometimes we'll just write a check and say, okay, you go in there and get my neighbor saved. How about you go do that? Can I just pause here for a second and talk about why this matters? Because there are times in life, this giving, that we will give our money where we won't give our time. We won't pour ourselves into somebody, and the more money that you get, the easier it is to write a check and wash your hands of the situation and think, hey, I've done good today. Is it about the money? It's not. As many of you guys know, he doesn't know I'm going to do this, okay? Brett's dad just passed away, okay? It's hard, right? Hard for anybody. But Brett, a few weeks ago, wanted to go up and share the gospel with his dad, and so He and myself, Jared went with him, and he sat up there. He shared the gospel with his dad. He prayed with his dad. And we got to baptize his dad. And then his dad dumped the water on bread after that, and that was kind of funny. (laughs) But that was something where he knew, this is my last chance. And bread, it wasn't comfortable, was it? No. But he knew he had to do it. And so it meant so much. I was so darn proud of him that day because how many of us would have done the same thing? How many of us would have carved time out and said, okay, we got to go do this? See, this is the heart of what we do. I mean, I walked out that day and I'm like, that young man, he gets it. I was so proud of him, still proud of him. But he gets it. He took time to go do something that most of us wouldn't have the guts to go do. You see, this is it, guys. It's what can we do with this? What if we, we break the spirit of mammon over our lives and we don't allow him to control us anymore? And we quit chasing the things and we start chasing God, knowing that if we seek him first in his kingdom, all of these things will be added to us. What if we just started doing what the word says? What if, we, what if we just started doing that? You see, if you ever get to the first level of giving and the tithing, the second and third are easier. You know why? Because the tithing is what breaks the curse. Your 90% will have God's hand upon it and can do so much more. This principle, guys, has even gotten into the secular world recently. There's a guy that, I, that I've listened to before. I've read some of his books in the past. And he was talking about this. He said, now listen, I know this is a Christian thing. And he's like, "And I don't, I don't claim to be Christian or anything like that. But he said... I budget in 10% of our, our income into giving to charities and stuff like that. And he said, and I can't explain it, but it seems since we've started doing this, our income has increased. And that sounds crazy, right? Is that what the world teaches us today? No. Give away 10% of your money. You know what you hear from people that often start giving tithes? It's like, why are you giving so much? That's a lot. So we see this extravagance and all of this stuff from God. But there's a third thing here. It's this reward of generosity. In Mark 14, it's the same story that we read in Luke before, starting in verse 3. It says, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flak, of very costly oil of spikenard, And she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why has this fragrant oil been wasted? For it might have been sold for more than the 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. You notice that Mark leaves out Judas' name here, but we know who it is. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to to anoint my body for burial. So now anyone will know what she's doing. And surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Now think about that. What was her reward? He said she did what she could. Her reward is part of it. We're talking about it right now. Wherever this gospel is preached, they will talk about her. About this extravagance gift, doing what she could, when she could, at an opportune time. She didn't sit there and say, "Like, well, Jesus is going to die soon, so maybe I do half of it. She gave. Why was Judas so upset? Because he was a thief. Because the spirit of mammon was in him. He, Jesus says, you know, you're filled with Satan. But why did Mary give such a generous gift, such an extravagant gift? It doesn't tell us this. But two months before, her brother Lazarus was dead. And Jesus came and brought, her back, brought him back to life. She was so grateful to the Son of God, she was willing to give anything. You see, grateful people are generous, extremely generous. Because they're so thankful for what they have. Now think about this for a minute. All of those who believe in Christ, that have given their heart to the Lord. They were once dead, but they've been given new life. Do we all have something to be thankful for? Oh, man, you better believe it. Generosity is giving, expecting nothing. Selfishness is giving, expecting something back from God. We have been given so much. She was given so much that by bringing her brother back, she was so willing to give. Why aren't we? But it's not just that. Why don't we give our time? Why don't we do the things that God says to do? You guys realize that we will be busy forever. Look what Jesus said. You'll always have the poor, but I won't be here a whole lot longer. We'll always have other things that we can do, but we should put our treasure on people. In Mark chapter 12, verse 38, it says, Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes. They love greetings in the marketplace, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrant. So he called his disciple to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, That this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. It's never the amount. Jesus doesn't need your money, he needs your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Mary was rewarded. Why was she rewarded? Hebrews 11:6. 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This rewarder word is only used one time in the New Testament. This Greek word, it's a five syllable word. And it, it all it, it means almost to pay what is to do, or what is due. Pay what is due. That's what it is. It's reward. Okay, I give you this and then I expect something in return. But there's one of the five syllables that changes this to this idea that is an extravagant reward. That he extravagantly rewards those who diligently seek him. How do you know those who are diligently seeking him? Because they seek to do what he has commanded, to fulfill the great commission You see, what you need to understand about God is He is an extravagantly generous God that He gave His only begotten Son. He doesn't do it just because He loves us, but because of who He is. You see, extravagance and generosity is a part of His nature. God cannot lie because He is truth. He is extravagant because that is who He is. He is a rewarder. There's a difference between being blessed and being rewarded. But we as believers can be both. You see, the reason I'm saying this and the reason I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to guilt somebody into giving and tithing, I'm trying to break the curse. I sit down with people. I've done it here since we've been here. I've, I've done it at other places. And they'll come and say, hey, can you help me make a budget? And they'll come in and they'll start laying down all their bills. You know what the last thing they have in anything? is always giving. I'm like, let's move this. Let's move it to the top. Let's start with this. And they're always fearful. They're always like, I I don't know if I can afford to do that. I'm like, if God showed up today, Jesus standing in front of me is like, hey, test me in this. See if I don't. Every time I've ever had somebody do that, they have never come back and say, that was the worst thing I ever did. It bankrupted my family. Every time. Doors of opportunity open. There was always more. I'll tell you a story about. There's a pastor down in Texas, and and uh, he was uh, he's on staff at a church now, but he was a businessman, a and he had done very very well, and uh, he always tithe. The first thing he did is give a tithe. He was extravagant. Give. refunded many ministries because he could. And um, one day he was sitting there, and he just was curious. He started looking into all of his accounts. He had a stock account, a, uh, an IRA, you know, bank accounts, all that stuff. Started adding it up. He's like. He's like, wow, there's way more there than I thought there was. Don't you wish that happened to you? Right? In fact, the other day I put on a jacket I haven't worn. I found $2. I was feeling pretty good about myself. And, uh, but anyway, and so the next morning he woke up and uh, he was doing his quiet time, spending some time in the scripture, stuff like that. And God says, hey, uh, how much is in those accounts? And he's like, uh, he's like, I don't want to discuss it. And he says, I want you to give everything pretty extravagant he said okay so he did emptied everything out and just kept going about his business doing what he was doing one year later he was praying all of a sudden, the lord said how much is in those accounts he hadn't checked this time he's like are we going to do this again he looked again there was more than double what had been there the previous years. now i'm not telling you that just like well if i just give everything then there'll be double next year that's not what i'm saying At all. Do not walk out of here thinking, okay, well, we could play this game. Okay? We are not pulling the spiritual, you know, slot machine here. What I'm saying is an attitude of the heart. It always has been. You want to break the spirit of mammon over your life, change your heart. Follow God. Give extravagantly to Him, not just to your finances. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We've got to become a body of believers that treasure people so much that we're willing to do anything to reach them. They're willing to give anything to reach them. They're willing to be a part of anything to reach them because that is the heart of Christ. He became poor so that we could become rich. Amen?